0: Welcome to Off the Cuff with Congressman Jared Huffman. As a representative for California's 2nd Congressional District, Off the Cuff is my opportunity to talk with you about important issues and to introduce you to interesting people from the 2nd District and beyond. It's unfiltered, it's direct, and it's honest. It's Off the Cuff with me, Congressman Jared Huffman. Welcome back to Off the Cuff. I'm Congressman Jared Huffman and if you care about animals and animal welfare, you are going to love my special guest on this episode because it is the president and CEO of the Humane Society of the United States, Wayne Pacelli. Wayne is widely recognized as the leader uh, of the most effective organization that works on these issues. It has grown under his tenure. Passed 1,100 state animal protection laws, more than 25 federal statutes from fighting animal cruelty laws, factory farming, puppy mills, horse protection. It's just remarkable the scope and breadth of the work that uh, HSUS has done under Wayne's leadership. And when he hasn't been uh, leading that terrific organization and being recognized as one of the executives of the year in the nonprofit space, he managed to write two New York Times best selling books. So he's a superstar, he's a friend that I've been working with for a long time. Welcome Wayne Pacelli to Off the Cup.
1: Thank you, Congressman. Great to be with you. And uh gosh, it would I'd be remiss if I didn't say that you've been an incredible leader on these issues, both as a California Assembly member and now in the US House. We've gotten some great things done. And against shark finning and all sorts of things.
0: We have. it it just seems like yesterday that we were starting work together on an interesting egg safety bill in California. Take me back in time.
1: This was really, you know, in my career, I've been active for more than 25 years. This is one of the most high-impact bills uh, of all that that you led in the California legislature. We passed... With a Republican, right? Tom Berryhead. That's right, from the Central Valley of California. So we worked on a ballot measure that you supported, Proposition 2, to stop the extreme confinement of veal calves, breeding sows, and laying hens in small cages and crates. I mean, cages and crates so small that the animals were effectively immobilized for their entire lives. A lot of people thought, well, you know, people are gonna vote their pocketbooks, they're not gonna vote for animal welfare, and that ballot measure, the same night that Barack Obama became president, mm-hmm. uh, got more votes than any citizen initiative in California history. Wow. Uh, 64% of the vote, it won in Marin County, but it won up in Mendocino and Humboldt, even in Del Norte. I mean, mm-hmm. all over the state, it, uh, it won. Even in the Central Valley, Kern County and, mm-hmm. and uh, Placer County. So one concern was, well, if we stop California producers from confining these animals, but then Iowa and Indiana producers ship their eggs from confined hens, we won't have achieved much. So you offered a bill uh, with a Republican uh, in a bipartisan approach uh, to say that if you sell those eggs into California, you've got to meet Prop 2 standards. And this led... It's odd bedfellows, not not
0: just having Tom Berryhill as my joint author, but... um we had the California egg industry working with you, shoulder to shoulder, yes. after you had just been mortal enemies <laughs> yes. uh, at the ballot right. uh, box. But uh, it was it was a fun issue to work on because I have a few egg producers uh, in Sonoma County, yes, and uh, they convinced me that we needed to level the playing field. That if they were going to come up to these new high standards, they didn't want to race to the bottom where Nevada and Iowa and other Uh, less scrupulous egg producers could just sell the same old stuff at a cheaper price into the California market. And that was so significant. I mean, it was beyond anything we could
1: realize because what it did, it really set the stage for us to work with Walmart and McDonald's and Cracker Barrel and IHOP and every big name brand you can think of. They've all, in the last 24 months, committed to us that they're going to go completely cage-free for their egg supply.
0: So California, once again, driving a national, maybe even a global standard.
1: And it was that policy that you authored that was the key. I mean, Prop 2 showed that people don't want that cruelty, but it was the prohibition on importing those eggs that were unsafe because the animals were so confined that, you know, they're they're shoulder to shoulder, they're stressed, there's so much manure in that system.
0: And you've got some good data suggesting that you get a healthier product when the animals are kept under better, more humane conditions. One of the things
1: that I've said all along, when you're good to animals, there are better outcomes throughout the whole society. You know, when you stop animal cruelty, you often stop people who have violent instincts from, you know, exhibiting that behavior in other parts of their
0: life. So no sooner did that uh, become law than those Midwestern egg producers that we were just talking about decided to take California to court. Yes. And um, you gave me a, a chance to uh, defend my law uh, in, all the way up to the United States Supreme Court. Yeah. And uh, we prevailed, right? We've
1: prevailed uh, step by step. Several attorneys general from Midwest states kind of pushed by some of the agribusiness interests filed the suit against your the statute that you authored and thus far, we've parried every uh, yeah. legal effort. There have been multiple cases. They've tried multiple, you know, legal theories, commerce clause preemption right. issues, but we've been able to prevail. And, and you know, just as we're recording this today, uh, there was an enforcement action in Southern California. A major egg producer we we found was confining the hens in these small cages, and the Republican. District Attorney from San Bernardino County brought charges, 16 counts Terrific. today.
0: Terrific. All right, so that was the first thing we worked on. And and by the way, um, I'm proud that of the laws that I have authored that that went into effect. I, I am undefeated on Supreme Court challenges. <laughs> so uh, there was a second Don't one. Don't jinx it. The, the second one go. that I'm going to bring up also made its way through the court system, and so. that is California's ban on the possession and trade of shark fins.
1: Yes. You know, some people may not have heard about this, but the estimate is, and it's hard to know what the precise numbers are, but upwards of 70 million sharks globally caught, captured, have their fins severed, and oftentimes the, the mutilated remains of the animal thrown into the water to die. Enormous waste, enormous Enormous cruelty. waste, absolutely, which fishermen and lots of other people who, you know, have an ethic would never subscribe yeah. to. And the shark finning bill that that you led got got passed, and there was a real challenge because there was an argument advanced by some that this is is kind of an ethnic tradition among the Chinese and that Chinese Americans brought this over. We actually surveyed uh, Chinese Americans in California and showed that they had the same hostility to killing sharks for their fins as Anglos or African Americans or Latinos. So I think that whole thing was a canard but, we but got it to... did
0: help to have a co-author with me who was a Chinese-American, Paul Fong.
1: Absolutely, who was very courageous in doing he,
0: it. He really did take a lot of heat for that. But we had that de facto uh, uh, discrimination claim thrown yes. at us. Uh, we had the usual Commerce Clause and other things thrown and at us. And it went to the Ninth
1: we Circuit. Went to the Ninth Circuit. And, and uh, you prevailed and we prevailed. And I'll tell you, just like the, the California... Uh, egg industry reforms that you helped lead the anti-shark finning issue has also gone nationwide now we have 13 states that have that have forbidden the killing of sharks for their fins and the obama administration did a rulemaking to interpret the 2010 shark conservation act in a good way, and also not to preempt the state laws. Yes, so was we a had a little fight with them there for yeah. a while, they were <laughs> yeah. they were about to
0: override California law and we managed to get them turned around, and, and thank you, we were able to work with you on that too. Those are two big things, me. two yeah.
1: very, very big things yeah. with national implications.
0: Alright, so while we're on the oceans and sharks, yeah. let's, let's go over to uh, another large predator in the ocean, uh, the orca, the killer whale. Uh, We came together to work on something here in Washington that was part of uh, a national effort that you led that has made an enormous difference on captivity for orca whales. Well, a
1: a lot of people know the brand SeaWorld, of course, and after the documentary Blackfish, which was really a cultural phenomenon that so many people saw the backstory of what happens at SeaWorld, you and... And uh, Congressman Adam Schiff from Southern California introduced legislation to stop breeding of orcas in captivity because these are long-lived animals. In fact, there was just one animal who's in the Puget Sound area who, her name was Granny. She was estimated to be 106 years old. Holy cow. Yeah, 106 years old as an orca. And, you know, they they have very limited life expectancy in captivity. Mm-hmm. And of course, it stands to reason. I mean, these are animals that travel tens of miles every day. The grandmothers live with the mothers, with the kids, and these extended family groups that are known as pods. And Blackfish told that story, and then you introduced that legislation. Uh, a Republican congressman who, who uh, I became friends with from Southern California, John Campbell, had been friends because he used to be in the auto industry before he mm-hmm. was... In Congress, he knew the new CEO of SeaWorld and told him, he said, "Listen, I think this is a reasonable guy. I think you can talk with him and convince him that there's no future in the captivity of orcas for silly stunts mm-hmm. and tricks." So Joel and I had a. But had well, you were
0: you were putting the screws to SeaWorld, too, oh, yeah. setting the stage for that conversation, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, this was not just a meet Wade and Pacelli. This no, was this, uh, the- you know, it would would you like to have some relief from this incredible consumer pressure Legislate. We've managed to pass an amendment yeah. to uh, a, a piece of legislation here that, that set in motion an updating of marine mammal captivity standards. SeaWorld was under a lot of pressure when they decided to sit down with you.
1: Well, and, and uh, I mean, it was it was a pitched battle. I mean if you had asked the SeaWorld people who was your mortal enemy, mm-hmm. you know, I would have at least made the top three. Maybe yeah. first, but definitely <laughs> top three. And uh so it was interesting, but you know, I've I've never really tried to personalize these issues, right? And I always want people to to grow and to kind of look at the issue in a different way. And you know one of the arguments that i made in in my book the humane economy is that businesses are not going to succeed if they have animal cruelty baked into the business model and in a world where we're now so much more attuned to nature and animals this looks archaic right to have elephants you know right. standing on their head at ringling brothers circus or orcas you know going up and doing a splash i mean when you really know what those animals do in the wild then you see this really poor you know, facsimile of their lives in captivity, you see that there's some problem with it. So I sat down with Joel Madby, the CEO of SeaWorld, who, who was not involved with the company until he became CEO. I said, listen, the future is in other forms of entertainment. The future is also becoming an advocate for the marine world, which has so many threats that you, know, you articulated when you were a state assemblyman and now also as a congressman. Having a major coastal district, you know, you see the interaction between the sea and the land and the importance of it to the economy, as well as to our ecology and the property values and everything you can think of. So we negotiated this agreement to phase, to to basically end the breeding of orcas, to have all of these other a new animal welfare standards at the company, and I must say that they were and super... They put some
0: t- money into conservation and other things. I mean, you've got a heck of a deal from SeaWorld. Yeah,
1: they agreed to put $50 million into that. They agreed to join us in a national anti-shark finning campaign right. to oppose commercial whaling by the Japanese, to fight the Canadian seal hunt, which is the largest marine mammal slaughter in the world. They also revamped their food policies, offering only sustainable seafood at all of their parks. Uh, doing cage-free eggs, crepe-free pork, uh, offering plant-based options. So it was pretty comprehensive. And- it's
0: a transformation. I mean, the SeaWorld experience is going to be very different going forward, but a lot more socially responsible and environmentally responsible. And it wouldn't have happened without, uh, A, a really effective and sophisticated campaign on your part, but B, a willingness to compromise. And I want to ask you about that, too. Because on the egg safety issue, you turned around and worked with the egg farmers, and then we also worked in Washington together with mm-hmm. them. That's right. Uh, and there, there were probably—I'm just going to guess, Wayne—that there are probably some purists within the animal <laughs> rights world that have called you some kind of a corporate sellout, because that's the way it works. There's a continuum, a spectrum, yeah. and yeah. when you are willing to to take less than a hundred percent, you know, you you get yourself some critics. So talk about your philosophy, your willingness to take a lot, but maybe not everything in some of these deals.
1: Well you know, I'm a true believer in the cause. I mean I started and I think this is this gives me maybe a little bit of credibility in talking to folks within our community that I was on the front lines. I mean I did every activist thing you can think of and you know did it as a volunteer and because I cared and my lifestyle choices reflected my sensibilities but, you know, the 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 issue is not our personal purity. The issue is being effective and having outcomes that are important and game-changing and durable. And the point is not just to talk to people who already agree with you. The point is to talk to people who don't agree with you. And if you can get them to change, that's the point of the exercise. So SeaWorld was a target by us. No group was tougher on SeaWorld than we were. But when they say they're going to, agree to some of the core reforms that we had called for, you want to embrace that because that is the model of change that we want to see broadly applied in our society. And the egg farmers, I mean, no one took them on like we did. I mean, egg farming is a big industry in California with 20 million laying hens, number five in the country. We spent millions of dollars, they spent millions of dollars. We were fortunate enough to prevail on the vote But when it's done, it's done. And if we can now work with them to nationalize that policy,
0: it's exactly what we want to do. Uh, I'm just going to say the one thing that that no one can really second guess or or dispute is the incredible impact and the difference that you have made. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think it's just remarkable. And I want to now think about the difference that we need to make going forward because uh, we've got a new political reality with the advent of Donald Trump, he's starting to fill out his key government positions. What are the big battles that you see coming? What are you most worried about? And and where can we perhaps continue to make some progress in the years ahead? Because you and the Humane Society remarkably have been able to make some of these things bipartisan.
1: Yeah, I, I believe that that opposition to animal cruelty protection of our environment is a universal value. I mean, who could be against that? I mean, that's a, it's madness to suggest that it's okay to be cruel to animals or to despoil the place that we live in. So I operate with that assumption, and, and uh, we have been able to create bipartisan majorities for so many issues that we work on. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm shocked that, that Donald Trump won the presidency. And obviously in California, you know, he got crushed. The people of California up and down the state rejected him. And he lost the popular vote. Uh, but he did win. And and uh, he's now working with some Republicans in Congress to really advance a pretty extreme agenda. And we want to stand in the way of that. Uh, there are a number of rules on animal welfare that we're deeply concerned about. Uh, one rule that the Obama administration, its USDA, uh, promulgated and finalized deals with upgrading animal welfare standards for animal products labeled as organic. Mm-hmm. So if you buy beef or pork or or chicken you should have some assurance that it's not just free of pesticides and hormones but the animal actually had a decent life mm-hmm. and had some access to the outdoors and wasn't confined in a cage or wasn't mutilated in some terrible way. So that's all the organic standard does. The polling shows that people want it, they broadly support it. But there may be an effort by conventional agriculture to overturn Mm -hmm. that because, I don't know, because they don't like it because it's not what they do.
0: They fought the rule.
1: They fought the rule, and you know, this is a value-added opportunity for farmers. The people producing these these cows and pigs and chickens and, and other animals for slaughter are farmers. And this is a way that they can, through using their animal husbandry skills and their good farming practices, Do something that's better for animals and good for the health of the consumer. So I'm amazed anyone would attack it, but we're bracing for that. Also, uh, Representative Don Young is likely to offer an amendment to allow some of the most ruthless hunting practices on national wildlife refuges. In Alaska, aerial gunning of wolves, trapping of grizzly bears with steel jaw leg hole traps, denning of bears and wolves, so going into their dens where the juveniles are living and Clubbing them or gassing them to kill them—I mean, that should happen nowhere,
0: least of all in national wildlife refuges. You know, Teddy this has Rose- been Don's uh, agenda for some time. I served with him on the Natural Resources Committee, and he's always advancing amendments and yeah. bills that would hand over these wildlife management decisions to the state of Alaska. These are the folks who, not that long ago, just a few decades ago, were paying a bounty. For people that killed bald eagles. Yeah. Because they thought it was competing with their salmon fisheries. So uh there's lots of reasons for concern there. No, and you know, I, I
1: think that it's 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 wrong headed. I mean, he's obviously a successful politician. He's been around for a long time since 1972. But the world is changing, right? And the people who go to Alaska go to Alaska because of the beauty of Alaska, just like your beautiful second congressional district in, in California. It's a tourist mecca. Because you can see incredible natural ecosystems and the animals that inhabit them. People go to Denali and they go to gates of the Arctic and they go to these beautiful places in Alaska to see the animals. And he wants to enable killing of them at the very places that are allure for tens of thousands of tourists. I mean, it doesn't make economic sense. And I ultimately believe in rationality. I ultimately believe that good ideas will prevail. But, you know, it takes all of us in society to carry... These arguments forward, citizen advocates, you know, just plain citizens or good people in their community, and then elected officials like you, the leaders who really articulate a vision for where we want to go in society. And I think that you know, over the last eight years, we got a lot of great stuff done.
0: Any opportunities for progress, uh, even in this difficult political climate? Oh, definitely
1: yes. I mean, we'll we'll pass a number of good animal welfare bills. I, I think, especially because some of the Republicans will be worried about being cast as extreme, and they may try to compensate by doing a few uh, sensible things in the world of animal welfare mm-hmm. and some other spaces. But And
0: what about the Donald? Can we expect him to sign these bills? Have, that's have, a have good you, question. Have you managed to bring Ivanka or Melania <laughs> into your... Uh... We've
1: got a number of major supporters that are tied in with him, but, you know, the guy's a wild card, so yeah. we'll see. Uh, but, you know, if ultimately he wants to serve the values of the country... He's got to get aligned on these issues. You know, it's it's just extremism to take a position at odds with being good to animals and being good to our planet.
0: Okay, I have one more question for you, Wayne. Um, a lot of my staff, a lot of my uh, friends and constituents are constantly commenting on the pictures that you post with animals, with cats and dogs. <laughs> it's, it's like... People are very excited about this. Tell us about these pictures. <laughs> well, you know,
1: animals make our world more rich and, and, and fun, and people love to see animals. You know, when I was a kid, I had all of our encyclopedias dog-eared to all the animal entries. I got National Geographic magazine, and I, you know, I knew that animals were different, but they're different in good ways, right? They have beautiful fur, beautiful eyes, and they're athletic. And I just think that, you know, it's too boring to take just a picture of me. You've got to have a dog <laughs> or a cat, you know? Otherwise, no one's going to look at it.
0: Got a favorite animal? You mean of all the animals in the world? The, the whole kingdom.
1: You know, I, I, I must be ecumenical as president of the Humane Society <laughs> of the United States, but I tell you, I really do admire wolves a great deal. They're, they're pretty remarkable, and I'm really upset about the efforts in Congress to try to delist them. To delist the To cherry-pick species from the endangered species list because they happen to conflict with, you know, some special interest groups wishes. That's not the way things should work.
0: Yeah, Well, we'll be fighting that fight together. Wayne Pacelli, thank you for joining me on the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. Great to see you.
0: All right. We have a couple of questions from my constituents, and I would like to Uh, answer those right now. Kathy is the first one. She asks, uh, I'm scared that they're going to overturn Roe versus Wade. What type of protections do we have? So Kathy, uh, very important and timely question. I'm sure it's one that a lot of my constituents are concerned about right now. I know that it's on my mind in a big way. Uh, There was a recent uh, statement from the Center for Reproductive Rights kind of looking at this issue of whether Roe v. Wade is likely to be overturned. And their view, uh, even with the possible confirmation of uh, Gorsuch to the Supreme Court, would be that there's still uh, probably a five to four majority that would uphold Roe versus Wade because it's been the law for so long, uh, over 40 years. Uh, the real concern is what happens if another one of the liberal or moderate justices retires in the next couple of years and President Trump has a chance to add. Uh, one more justice. So if Anthony Kennedy steps down, that would be a real problem. That would tip the balance of the Supreme Court. So uh, we're just going to have to keep an eye on that. Uh, The Senate confirmation process would be, is already enormously important for Gorsuch. It would even be more so for that next possible opening. What's probably more likely in the short term is that Congress continues to try to legislate around this issue and with President Trump now in the Oval Office, uh, if they can actually advance uh, some bills on this subject, they're likely to get it signed into law. So we may see them doing things that defund Planned Parenthood, getting at access to women's uh, reproductive health care. Uh, we may see them trying to give states greater ability to pose, impose restrictions or chipping away in other ways uh, at the protections of Roe versus Wade. I think it's very important that the women of America are paying attention. And that's why I was so delighted to see the Women's March a couple of weeks ago and to see some sustained energy and activism around that. I want you to know that your congressman is going to fight these efforts tooth and nail. And I'm looking forward to working with women's groups and an awful lot of rank and file people who are not interested in going backward on this issue. All right, the next question is from Michaela. And she's asking if I will be holding any town hall-type meetings in the near future. Thanks, Michaela. Um, the answer is yes. I'm going to be holding as many of these as I possibly can. The ones that we've held so far uh, in 2017 have been hugely successful. In fact, we're, we're going to need to find some bigger venues because there is so much pent-up interest um, in being more active citizens out there. I'm really pleased to see that, and I want to provide those opportunities for people to engage. The real challenge for me is that the House Republicans have set the most aggressive schedule here in Washington that I have seen uh, in my four years in Congress. They've got us here almost every week, almost every day, and that means uh, it'll be difficult, but we're going to still find ways to do town halls. I'll be in Trinity County Uh, in a couple of weeks, and we are working on a public event of some kind there, possibly uh, surrounding health care and the Affordable Care Act issues. Uh, We're going to be looking at coming to Humboldt, and we were just in Mendocino County, but we'll we'll come back. Uh, I have done Sonoma County and Marin County town halls already in the last couple months, but we're getting enormous uh, interest in doing even more. So the best thing I can tell you is to subscribe to my newsletter. Uh, If you'll visit uh, huffman.house.gov, that's my website. And you can check out also my official Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash rephuffman. We'll be posting all of our public events and forums in those two locations. And we hope to see you at an upcoming event. Thanks for writing in. Off the Cuff is produced by Marin's own Tales Untold Media. Our music is also local, provided by Temp Love. Don't miss out on future episodes of Off the Cuff. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Just search for Off the Cuff with Jared Huffman.